Hey friend, welcome to the broadcast. I'm Mike McCurry. I want to thank you for listening to Bible Track Echoes today. I have a question for you. There's a good old song, you may know it. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. My question is this. Did you know that Jesus does love you? That he loves you so very much that he died on a cross for you? Well, that's where we pick up this book that I'm holding in my hand entitled Pre-Wedding Days. It was written all the way back uh, about 1935 or so by our founder, Dr. Paul Levine, and it still holds so true. The chapter title that we begin with is Eternal Unfailing Love. If you missed the previous editions of this broadcast this week, I'd recommend finding it in podcast form, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. Just search Bible Tract Echoes. But this booklet caught my attention because in the very near future, my wife and I will be celebrating our wedding anniversary. And I thought back to those days, weeks, and hours preceding our wedding day. We jump back into this little book, Pre-Wedding Days. Don't worry if you haven't caught up. We'll catch you up here. Eternal, unfailing love. In many love affairs, Dr. Paul says, the happiness and fellowship are broken because one lover is untrue to the other. He will begin to talk very nice to other girls or she will begin to flirt with other fellows. When the other party finds it out, their bliss is gone. No longer are they happy together that either make up or break up. Many times the sweet fellowship between Christ and Christians is broken. The joy and the peace are gone. And so I ask, is your fellowship broken? You may have been flirting with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Young man, Listening right now, suppose a girl would quit some other fellow so she could love you only. And then, after promising to be true to you, you find her accepting attentions from her former admirer. How would you feel? If you truly loved her, you would be grieved. Yet, that is the way some Christians treat Christ. When they took him as their savior, they professed to give up the world, the flesh, and the devil, so they could give him all their affection. Oh, how Christ is grieved when he sees them trying to enjoy the things of this world, the things they promised to part with for his sake. The results of trying to enjoy these former pleasures are indeed tragic. They lose their first love. Many are saved and grow wonderfully for a while. Nothing has marred their oneness with Christ. Their love for him makes life worthwhile, but something happens. Instead of going on, they become discouraged, and you hear them say, It's no use, I'm going to quit. Their love for prayer and Bible study is not what it used to be. Things are so different from what they were when they were first saved. Tragedy of tragedies. Their first love for Jesus is lost, and he says, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Revelation 2.4 O oh, you who still have your first love for Christ, guard it. Be jealous of it. For when the first love is gone, it's gone forever. Your fellowship can be restored, but the first love is gone. The next love is a second love, and it's not quite like the first. 
Perhaps some of you who are here tonight are discouraged and you feel like giving up and quitting. Well, now suppose you do quit and give up. What good will that do for you? Just because you're foolish enough to think of such a thing is no sign whatsoever that he will quit or give you up because his love for you is eternal and unchanging. What a wonderful Savior. When you let go, he holds fast. When you are untrue, he is grieved, but still he is faithful. That is true love. That is real love. George Matheson sang, Oh, love that will not let me go. Yes, when all other love fails, and even when Christians, instead of restoring you in the spirit of meekness when you have failed, begin to criticize, find fault, and throw stones at you, remember, his love is always the same. Hebrews 13.8 reminds us of that. A title and chapter proving their love comes next. During the time of courting, Dr. Paul Levine said some years ago, during that time, the lovers do all they can to prove their ardent affection for each other. He will make a great sacrifice in order to bring her a gift. She will send him a box of fudge when he is away. The question I ask is, are you proving your love for Christ, dear Christians? Would you live a separated life to please him? Would you be willing to say goodbye to this country with its privileges and to your loved ones to go into the blackness of some heathen land and to tell about him to the lost and dying? Would any sacrifice be too great? Would it be too much for you to surrender your whole life to him who gave his blood for you? He proved his love by dying for you. You can prove your love by living for him. To prove your love for him will mean that you will ask forgiveness for that cutting word, the unkind look. You know, friends, if looks and words were bullets, we'd all be dead. Yes, you could prove your love by making things right with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go and tell that person that you gossiped about him behind his back. Surrender that pet sin of jealousy, resentment, pride, hurt feelings, bitterness, or whatever would grieve your beloved. Make him happy. Oh, if professing Christians would only act as if they were Christians. Many are like a young fellow who wrote to his girl something like this. Dearest, I could swim the mighty ocean for one glimpse from your dear eyes. I could walk through a wall of flame for one touch of your hands. I could leap the wildest stream for just one word from your lips. As ever, Oswald. P.S. I'll be over Saturday night if it doesn't rain. <laughs> They say they love him, and then when he leads them into a life of real surrender, they say, Lord, if it doesn't rain. The next chapter, titled The Engagement, one day, the young man finds himself gazing into a showcase filled with sparkling, dazzling diamonds. He soon walks out triumphantly with one in his pocket. To his question that evening, she softly whispers, yes. He slips the ring on her finger, and from that time on, she is sealed she belongs to him only. He has given her the pledge. Well, thank God, we as believers, too, have a pledge. We are engaged to Christ. He has given us the pledge, which is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 
We are the purchased possession. He has bought us with his blood and sealed us with his spirit. We are sure of it because he has given us the pledge, the Holy Spirit. We belong to him only. Nothing can break the seal because it is his seal. We continue with a titled chapter, Partings. Often, though, the lovers have to say goodbye as he has to leave town, perhaps to work. The separations, they're sad. The tears flow. The lumps rise in their throats as they wave their last farewell. But I imagine that if he were going away to prepare a home for her, that the parting wouldn't be quite so sad. Christ had to separate bodily from his bride to be. When he was about to leave, he said, I go. What if he had stopped there? What a sad parting that would have been, but he didn't. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. So now, even though he is not with us corporally, we know that he is preparing a place for us that where he is, we may be also. We continue with the correspondence. After the young man is gone, letters, cards, and special deliveries pass each other daily on the way to and from the separated lovers. Night letters. Telegrams, telephone calls, and wireless messages bring the loved ones together in spirit. Now, you can tell, friend, dear listener, that this was written back in 1960s and earlier. Do you remember, Dr. Paul continues, the letters you used to write to your sweetheart? Christ has left us his love letter, the Bible. Isn't it sad that so many Christians neglect it? Oh, how we ought to love it. Suppose one of you young fellows had to leave home tomorrow for, let's say, six months. During your absence, you write her many sweet, tender letters. Not a lot of silly, slushy, mushy trash, but real love letters in which you tell her how you miss her and so on. Well, you come home unexpectedly before the six months are up. You come to her home, and as her mother ushers you in, you see several of your letters lying on a table unopened. In the evening... When you were alone, she says, Oh, I missed you so much when you were gone, and so on and so forth. Why, I could hardly wait until your letters came. I watched for the postman every day. But to you, her words have no meaning. You're thinking about those unopened letters. You take your hat and walk out sad and broken-hearted. She's broken your confidence. You can make the case that she isn't worthy of your love. How do you suppose Jesus feels when you tell him how you love him if he sees his love letter lying unopened on the table covered with magazines and newsletters or in the bookcase while you feed yourself on novels, magazines, and the funny papers? Is it any wonder that your life is so barren, so void of joy and peace and victory? I read a story somewhere of a girl who read a book and after finishing it, she placed it on the table and said, this is the most dull, dry, and most uninteresting book I've ever read. She said, I'll never pick up that book again. Soon after, she fell in love with a young man. He was an author by chance. One day, she came running in the house. She rushed into the library, found the dull, the dry, the unexciting book, and she began to read it again. She read it through and said, Oh, this is the best book I've ever read. A more interesting book could not be found. I'm going to read it again. Why the sudden change? She realized that she had fallen in love with the author. What a difference it makes when she found that her lover had written the book. It shouldn't be a mystery to us as to why lost people do not love to read the Bible. They don't love the author. 
Christian? Is the Bible a dull, dry, uninteresting book to you? Is it a drudgery to read? Do you look at it once a month because you feel it's a duty, or do you read it every day because you love it? Is his love letter to you distasteful? If it is, it's likely because you don't love the author enough. Your first love has cooled off. Ask him to renew your love for him so that you might love his word as you used to. The more you love him, the more you will love his word. We have just a scant two days left in our week of broadcasts, and Lord willing, we will conclude this book over the coming days. Join us tomorrow right here, same time, same channel. Thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast. Have a great day for his glory, and God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Tract Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample packet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309-828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 188, Bloomington, Illinois, 61702. A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.